0: I usually try to warn people if there's all sorts of funky names in one of their readings, and I thought, oh my goodness, I forgot to warn her. And then I realized that, yeah, (laughs) that's okay. Well done, though. You hashed through those quite, quite gracefully. Our gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. You can find this on page 1496 in the Pew Bible. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. It probably comes as little surprise to you all that Advent is a big deal in our home. Recently, we were invited to an Advent party at somebody's house, and I cannot tell you how exciting that was. Um, A little girl asked to turn on Christmas music, and the father of the house said, no, it's not Christmas yet. That might have been a little extreme, but Tim and I both grew up in Presbyterian churches where Advent was celebrated every year. And so now in our own home, we have an advent wreath. We take our time getting the Christmas decorations put up. In fact, we just got our tree put up last night. It's part of the building anticipation of the season. And don't get me wrong. It's not because I don't love Christmas. You can ask my husband. I love Christmas. I love the corny music on the radio. John Denver and the Muppets' Christmas album is my favorite one. I love the sparkly decorations. I love giving people presents. But there is just something so special about taking that time to gear up for that excitement. The season of waiting and preparing makes the moment when Christmas bursts forth into the night with candlelight services and peace on earth, goodwill to all, that much sweeter. This fourth and final Sunday of Advent, we are all chomping at the bit to get to the nativity. Even Advent-loving me is chomping at the bit to get to the nativity. We have been waiting for weeks. It's especially difficult to hold back this year when we have the longest possible Advent celebration having to wait until Saturday night to come back together again for our Christmas Eve service. That's a long wait. And with this morning's passage from Matthew, we are almost there, but not quite. This passage talks about the virgin birth, but it's not really about Mary or about Jesus' birth. It's not so much a birth story. We still hold off on that for another week yet. Today, we take a look at the human man who took in Jesus as his son, the man Jesus called Daddy when he was growing up. Today, we lit the candle of love, and here in Matthew, the gospel writer tells us that love is hard, and it's not always predictable, especially the sort of love that God has for us. This passage one of the very few that tell us much at all about Joseph's character, is about Joseph's response to God's call. It's also not just about how great Joseph is. As in most call stories, God calls on someone who doesn't have it all figured out just yet. On all the Christmas cards, Joseph and Mary have giant, shiny halos of light around their heads, but they had to grow into those halos. A little background, perhaps, on this passage is helpful to understand Joseph's predicament and his response. According to the law set forth in Deuteronomy 22, if a young unmarried woman was found to have committed adultery, she was to be stoned to death. In fact, even if she resisted, she was to be stoned to death for not having screamed loud enough to be rescued. That sounds pretty harsh. I have a feeling most of us in the room have at some point in our lives known someone who unexpectedly became a parent as a teenager. It's a story even older than the book of Deuteronomy. And thinking about that person in your life perhaps puts into perspective the severity of what Deuteronomy says about Mary's presumed situation. It was dangerous. By the time Joseph was planning to divorce Mary quietly, the penalties had been softened a bit from the time of Deuteronomy, but they were still pretty harsh. If Mary were found to be pregnant while still betrothed to Joseph, the penalty was a public trial for adultery and still possible stoning. And for Joseph, the punishment would be serious shame. Joseph was already, at least in part, responsible for Mary's care. They weren't actually married and living together yet, but a betrothal at that time was legally binding. The only way he could get out of it was by divorce. But Joseph was a good man. Rather than make a big fuss with a formal adultery trial, as was fully within his legal rights, he decided to be kind and loving to Mary and to divorce her quietly. This would save both of them a scandal, and it could possibly save Mary's life. At the least, it would save her a great deal of public shame. Joseph, her betrothed but not yet her husband, still decided to show grace and kindness to Mary who was probably just a young teen at the time, even though legally he was not obligated to. He didn't have to. In fact, nobody would have thought any less of him if he'd let it go to trial. Now, we have no way of knowing for sure if he wanted to divorce her because he thought she'd been unfaithful or if he already knew about the Holy Spirit's intervention and was just terrified of being married to someone who'd been used by God in such an incredible and sacred way that scripture isn't entirely clear on the order he found these things out. Either way, Joseph decided not to make a stink of things and to let it go quietly. He chose the kind and quiet way of dealing with an uncomfortable situation. After his decision to do the kind thing for Mary, the decent thing, the thing that was more gracious and loving than what the law or the culture of the time would tell him to do, Joseph was visited by an angel in a dream. One might expect that after the loving and commendable decision that Joseph had made, that perhaps the angel was there to compliment him on doing such a great job. But instead, the angel says, that's gracious, Joseph, but not gracious enough. Don't be afraid of this situation. Don't worry about what people are going to think. This is God's work. I'm going to need you to go a step or two further with that love, my friend. Joseph was gracious, but God is even more gracious. I don't know about you, but I would probably have woken up and said, thanks for the offer, God, but no. It's frustrating when you're already going above and beyond by normal standards and God says to go higher and farther. Joseph was already stretching the bounds of cultural norms, and instead of saying, I'm just going to do what the law from Deuteronomy says to get himself out of a really awkward situation, he follows God's calling anyway. That's where we learn what kind of person Joseph really is. Joseph doesn't just do what the angel says. He follows God's call word for word, step by step. This is too big not to take seriously, especially knowing that the kindness he was already planning on affording Mary wasn't going far enough. Clearly, he needed God's intervention to truly do the right thing. The angel says, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. So he courageously takes Mary home as his wife. The angel says, give him the name Jesus, and he gives him the name Jesus Because he listened to the call, Joseph goes from being a good man to being not just a good man, not just a kind man, but a man of God. He went from being an upright person to being God's person. Joseph could have just followed the law, or he could have continued on his kind plan of not making a big deal of Mary's situation. And that would have been fine. But if he had... He would be known quite differently in our history if he were remembered at all. He would have been known as a kind but slightly misdirected man rather than a man of God who took in God's own son in confusing and weird circumstances. (coughs) Joseph's plans were quickly and completely changed by God. His plans were fine, but God's plans were bigger. Just because we're doing what looks kind or gracious by the standards around us, doesn't mean we're off the hook for evaluating our actions through God's eyes and with the vision of fulfilling God's promises. Joseph's plans were fine. They weren't sinful, they were nice. And God changed those plans anyway. Just because we aren't sinning doesn't mean we are doing God's work. Just doing what seems to be the kind thing to do is not necessarily God's full call for our life. We are called to even more than that. Like Joseph, we start there, listen for God, and then go a step further with our grace and our participation in God's work. This might mean offering genuine friendship and kindness when simply being amicable is considered good enough. This might mean starting a new ministry a church when it already looks like you're doing enough or like others aren't doing enough. Sometimes this might look like entering into a real conversation with someone in need who drives us crazy rather than politely avoiding them. It means not just listening to the people who disagree with us, but actively seeking out people who are different and listening deeply to their stories Sometimes, God changes the path of our lives, individual or communal, suddenly and surprisingly. We might know a thing or two about that around here right now, am I right? Sometimes, just when you think you're exactly on the right path, God swoops down and says, but there's something different, and suddenly everything looks different than it did five minutes ago. It's not that you are on the wrong path, it's just that there is a turn in the road that wasn't visible until just now. That is frustrating, and that is terrifying. And that's the Christmas story. God coming down and shaking up our plans. The reason Jesus is called Emmanuel, especially this time of year, is because it means God with us. And the with us is more than just with, it's among part of, in the midst of. God frustrates our plans, not as some sick joke, some cosmic way of messing with us for giggles, but because God's presence, by its nature, shakes things up when it lands among us. That is what the incarnation, what Jesus coming to earth as a human baby, does. We spend Advent singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and I don't think we always realize how dangerous that request is. Joseph knew the prophecies from Isaiah. He was a good Jewish boy waiting for the Messiah, and then the Messiah actually came, and whoa, it took an angel in a dream to get Joseph all the way on board. Sometimes, just when we think we have it figured out, God says, but... And then God comes down and takes over and wild and wonderful things happen. Now I know that this is not technically our last service together before I leave. But our last two together are something very different than our regular Sunday services. And I know that many people are preparing to leave town soon to visit family and won't be around this coming Saturday and Sunday. So I want to take this time to tell you that you are all incredible. Great things are happening here. Wonderful things. Exciting things. We've been praying and praying and looking for the next steps to jump on the wave of God's work in the community, and suddenly God came unexpectedly and said, that's great, and someone else is meant to lead you all on in this exciting new phase of community life. I didn't expect that answer from God any more than you all did, I assure you that. When Joseph, while Joseph planned to divorce Mary quietly and was told to stick around and see what's next, I fully expected to stick around and see what's next. And God said, not you, sister. I've prepared someone else for that part of the journey here. It's time for you to go help another congregation figure out what I'm up to in their community. I pray that we are all able to continue following the call of God in our lives, as powerfully and as diligently as Joseph did. That we might follow God passionately, not just doing the right thing or the kind thing, but doing the God-driven thing. It's hard, and it's scary, and it's often shaky, and it feels like working without a net. But I've seen you all weather hard and shaky, and working without a net. And I have no doubt that you can continue the momentum we have seen pick up in the past few years. I have no doubt that if you look and listen carefully, you'll find that God has already prepared someone who will be just as blessed and honored to call themselves your pastor as I am and always have been. I wonder if the apostle Paul felt this way whenever he was called away from a church he'd spent a few years with. You can see the tenderness of his relationship with the church in Rome in our epistle passage today. He opens up this letter to them by saying, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't pretend to be anywhere near as good At this, as Paul was. But perhaps those are fitting words for a day like today. A day on which we very much feel the anxiety and the bittersweetness of watching a season change. A day on which we see ourselves being told, like Joseph, not this way, that way. It is a day in which we do indeed need to remember that Emmanuel is with us. And with him come grace and peace, which often look different than we expect, but are there for certain when we follow the call. So friends, to all in liberty, who are loved by God and called to be his people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.